my lovely friends. Welcome again to the History Obscura podcast. Have you ever wondered how many bodies are frozen in the Arctic ice? Or the Antarctic ice, for that matter? I wonder how many we're going to see as everything starts melting away. Which, of course, brings me to today's story, which is one of bravery, curiosity, fortitude, and cold. Once upon a time, explorers from Great Britain were still hoping to find a northwest passage that would take ships from Canada's eastern Atlantic coast to the western Pacific coast. Construction on the Panama Canal was still decades away, and many ship's captains were certain they could find the route that Christopher Columbus himself had envisioned almost four centuries earlier. By that time, it was generally accepted that the only way to navigate the frozen waters surrounding Canada's Baffin Island, Ellesmere Island, Victoria Island, and the tens of thousands more tiny pieces of land was to take a heavy, powerful ship and force it through the ice of the Northern Sea. Sir John Franklin the English-born former governor of Tasmania and war hero present at the Battle of Trafalgar and the War of 1812, believed he had what it took to get the job done. To that end, he commissioned two warships, the HMS Erebus and the HMS Terror. With 129 total crew members, including himself, these two ships departed from England on the 19th of May, 1845. No doubt, Franklin hoped to take advantage of the summer months to navigate the melting and frail ice of Canada's northern territories. It wasn't Franklin's first foray into the Canadian wilderness. Twenty-six years earlier, he had been chosen to command a crew of the British Royal Navy tasked with mapping the Hudson's Bay area that lay north of the Copper Mine River. This was deemed a necessary part of discovering the entrance to the Northwest Passage, which English explorers were still sure must exist. The task was cold. Franklin and the team managed to find the Arctic coast at the northernmost edge of mainland Canada, but soon were forced to retreat southward due to starvation and harsh winter weather. Half of the 22-man team died before they returned home. John Franklin himself earned the nickname The Man Who Ate His Boots, thanks to his published journal that explained how he and his team had to lick lichens from their boots and even tried to eat the boot leather itself in order to survive. There were further nasty rumors of cannibalism in the midst of the bitter Canadian winter. George Simpson, a Scotsman in the employ of the massively influential Hudson's Bay Company, felt that the expedition had failed because of Franklin's inexperience in the North. He wrote a letter in which he said, Franklin has not the physical powers required for the labor of moderate voyaging in this country. 
He must have three meals per diem. Tea is indispensable, and with the utmost exertion he cannot walk above eight miles in one day. Back at home in England, however, Franklin was celebrated for his bravery. Even the team's failure to produce a complete map was overlooked in favor of the return of a hero of the western wilderness. The captain was so admired among his own people that he was made a fellow of the Royal Society of London, and his book, Narrative of a Journey to the Shores of the Polar Sea, sold out in all bookstores. Though explorers and fur traders who lived in Canada full-time resented Franklin's well-funded expeditions, they often had little choice but to accept paid employment at his side. This was the case during an 1825 undertaking to completely map the St. Lawrence River, and the 1845 undertaking. For many years, explorers believed that the key to traversing Canada and finding the Pacific Ocean lay with the St. Lawrence River. This river opens into the Atlantic on the eastern coast of Canada and begins at Lake Ontario, some 3,000 kilometers to the west. Having thoroughly mapped this waterway, however, John Franklin knew that there was no way to sail a ship past the edge of Lake Ontario, despite the presence of the other four great lakes to the west and north. Pushing westward via the Arctic Ocean was the only option left. John Franklin was actually the third choice to head this expedition. Before he was given the lead, William Parry and James Clark Ross turned it down. James Fitzjames was considered, but rejected due to his young age. Therefore, at nearly 60, Franklin received his command in February of 1845. When he left England, Fitzjames was second in command and traveling aboard the HMS Erebus. Franklin headed the Terror. The warships were outfitted with steam engines, but could also use wind to sail. The steam engines would provide heating for the cabins during the winter, and the ship's bows were reinforced with heavy beams and iron plates for breaking through the sea ice. With the ships packed with 8,000 tins of preserved food, expected to last three years, and 1,000 books in the ship's libraries, there were also a host of carpenters, blacksmiths, cooks, stokers, engineers, and surgeons. The two crews arrived at the Whalefish Islands of Greenland within 30 days. They stopped there briefly to send letters home and bring several slaughtered oxen aboard for food stores. Soon, they once more were heading westward towards Lancaster Sound, one of the uppermost waterways of the Arctic Archipelago. It was in late July that two British whaling ships encountered the Erebus and the Terror in Baffin Bay, waiting for ideal conditions to enter Lancaster Sound to the north. 
That is the last the two ships were ever seen by contemporary Europeans. Much of the latter part of the Franklin expedition's tale comes from Canada's native Inuit people, who populate the northern stretches of the country. In 1854, however, John Ray of the Hudson's Bay Company found a physical evidence of the expedition's fate. Ray met an Inuk, that is, a member of the Inuit culture, near Pelly Bay. It was the 21st of April, 1854, and this Inuk told Ray of a party of 35 to 40 white men who had died of starvation near the mouth of the Back River. Other Inuit confirmed this story, which included reports of cannibalism among the dying sailors. The Inuit showed Ray many objects, including forks and knives, that were identified as having belonged to Franklin and his men. Another piece of evidence was uncovered by a later British polar team. In 1859, an Arctic expedition led by Francis Leopold McClintock discovered a note inside a man-made pile of stones on King William Island. The note had two parts, one from May of 1847 and the second from April of 1848. The first part read, Her Majesty's ships, Erebus and Terror, wintered in the ice in latitude 70.5 north, longitude 98.23 west. Having wintered in 1846-1847 at Beachy Island, Sir John Franklin commanding the expedition, all well. The second part read as follows. Her Majesty's ships, Terror and Erebus, were deserted on the 22nd April, five leagues north-northwest of this, having been beset since the 12th of September, 1846. Sir John Franklin died on the 11th of June, 1847, and the total loss by deaths in this expedition has been to this date nine officers and fifteen men. Written by James Fitzjames, Captain HMS Erebus. Finally, there was one more inscription on the page that said, Whoever finds this paper is requested to forward it to the Secretary of the Admiralty, London, with a note of the time and place at which it was found or, if more convenient, to deliver it for that purpose to the British Consul at the nearest port. The same instructions were repeated in French, Spanish, Dutch, Danish, and German. Now, let's move forward in time to 2007, when Russia used a remotely operated submarine to plant a titanium flag on the seabed in the Arctic Archipelago. These uppermost islands still being under dispute between several nations, Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper took this quite personally. In 2008, Stephen Harper, the Conservative Prime Minister, decided to launch a new search for the lost Franklin ships 
if he could find proof that Britain, and by extension Canada, had claimed certain lands first, Russia's flags would be meaningless. Harper put an oddly strict hush on all federal science during that time that baffled citizens and led to a lot of anger. These rules applied during the 2014 expedition that found HMS Erebus, and therefore, it was the best-kept secret in Canada. No one was allowed to tell even the captain of the Coast Guard icebreaker, the lead vessel on the expedition, of the discovery, until they had gone through a step-by-step -step protocol notifying federal officials up the line all the way to the Prime Minister. Eventually, the country learned that the HMS Erebus was discovered in relatively shallow water and almost perfectly preserved, except for the stern, which had been bitten away, probably by ice. The stern is where Franklin's cabin was. Inuit stories dating back to the period shortly after the ships were abandoned speak of Inuit boarding one of the vessels and finding a large man seated in a dark room, obviously dead, with a huge grin on his face. As a child, the Inuit historian Louis Kamukek heard a story from a woman named Humakuk, who describes going as a girl with her father into the wilderness and discovering some odd items that looked like a knife and rabbit droppings. As an adult, Kamukek wondered if that story was related to the Lost Franklin expedition, since timelines and location added up. Perhaps it was a western-style table utensil and Royal Navy rifle shot? That story stayed in Louis's mind, and he became determined to try and find out where that place was. He looked into Inuit oral history and spoke with anybody that might know something about the lost ships and explorers. As he talked to people, he realized he could perhaps answer some of the mysteries about the Franklin expedition. Primarily, he wanted to find Franklin's grave. With these collected stories from the people of the North, there are hand-built rock structures, a liquid rock that sounds a lot like cement, and even a rifle salute. It sounds as if someone important to Great Britain died and was given a loud send-off. Perhaps Franklin was even entombed in cement within a cairn rock structure and his body can still be found. It certainly wasn't in the HMS Terror, whose wreck was found in 2016 in Nunavut Territory's aptly named Terror Bay, named in 1910 as a memorial for the lost expedition. Kamukuk and other Inuit believe that King William Island has been cursed ever since Franklin's expedition. Louis seeks peace for himself, the land, and the people. He believes if he can find Franklin and send him home to England, that peace will finally come. As for the remaining crews of the ships, they abandoned the Erebus and the Terror in the ice and began the long walk south from King William Island, over the ice and towards the mainland. 
only 30 or 40 men reached the northern coast of Canada before dying of hunger and hypothermia. When the last crew member of the Franklin expedition died, he was still hundreds of miles from the nearest outpost. Thanks for listening, everybody! Remember, we are always looking for new patrons, so do go to patreon.com forward slash history obscura. And for just $2, you are going to get access to more stories. Also, follow us on Twitter at histobscurapod and join the Facebook group. Sweet dreams. Good night. Good night.